the Production Expert Podcast with Russ Hughes and Julian Rogers. Well, good evening and welcome to Production Expert Podcast number 414. Yes, 414. We got it wrong last week. Julian had a, a slight numbering problem, went from 314 to 414. We weren't going to talk about this. We are going to talk about this. Is, <laughs> I'm going to shame you publicly. So anyway, but it is actually Podcast 414. Last week was supposed to be 413 and we'll correct that if you haven't listened to it yet. Anyway, it's April the 6th, 2020. I'm Russ Hughes. I'm Julian Rogers. And I'm Sarah Carter. Uh, welcome. Uh, we're going to try and avoid the C word today. And yes, that C word, not the word that my mother used to smack me around the head for using when I was a kid. <laughs> anyway, wasn't even heard of then, that other, the new C word. Anyway, <laughs> but uh, deals uh, for the month of April, get 20% off Rogue Amoeba products, including SoundSource. So it's the whole range. So Rogue Amoeba don't offer discounts often, so get them while you can. Uh, it's on our deals page. It'll be in the notes this week. I already use Audio Hijack, but I was recently introduced to SoundSource by Julian, and it is it is great. We'll talk about it more later on in the show. Uh, for the entire month of April 2020, there's a special promotion for all EVE audio products in the United States and Canada. This promotion is a rare opportunity to buy into one of the most reliable brand monitors, monitor brands sorry, around and invest in great mixes for years, if not decades to come. Uh, their, their words, not mine. Uh, we have some great deals from Arturia, Avid, Isotope, Sound Particles, Editor's Keys, Focusrite, and RSP, all on our deals page. Check them out. Let's move on to some talking points. These are sponsored by our friends at Arturia. Hello, experts and listeners. Pro Tools Expert Talking Points is brought to you with the support of Arturia. Arturia has a wide range of software effects, including three compressors, three filters, three preamps, and three delays you'll actually use. The latest release, three delays you'll actually use, includes Delay Tape 201, Delay Memory Brigade, and the unique and experimental Delay Eternity. A bundle of selected effects called the AudioFuse Creative Suite is included with all AudioFuse audio interfaces. Follow the link in the podcast article or visit arturia.com to find out more on the effects you'll actually use. Uh, talking points. Uh, this week, we are going to look at two uh, articles that have come out. Uh, the first one we're going to talk about is acoustic treatment tips to help you improve the sound of your recording studio. Uh before the show, we were talking about what we're going to, what we were going to sort of discuss today, and uh, this is one that I think we have different views on, which will make it a more interesting show. If we all agree, then that will be pointless. So uh, uh, acoustics, what's all the fuss about? Let me ask that question because I've built a studio. I've built a studio that people come to and absolutely love the sound of. Uh, and I fired my architect. It's full of glass. I'm going sideways and there's hardly any treatment and it sounds great. Discuss. <laughs> Maybe you just got lucky. Okay. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, Sarah, so you subscribe to Acoustics Do Matter. Do you I think do. they matter as much as the fuss that's made about them in so many different forums? Um, I think it's easy to um, to go too far. I think they matter to the point that you really should do something if you're, uh, if it's being reflected in your mixes. So if, 
your good working pun word there reflected in your mixes. <laughs> oh dear, yeah. So um, yes, if the room acoustics are being reflected into your mixes, um, then you really need to do something about it. And you're going to know that by uh, using reference tracks or if you uh, use a, a mastering engineer, if you mix, for example, they can help you uh, point you in the right direction with regards to any commonalities that are that run through your mixes where, you know, you've got too much 100 hertz consistently in your mixes. Then you think it sounds great when you're mixing, but... Uh, in another room, uh, it sounds completely different and has errors like that, then it does come down to acoustics, I think. So where you are made aware of the fact that you might have a problem, then yeah, definitely. Certainly before going out and thinking you've got to spend hundreds of pounds on better monitors than what you've got, I think investing a few hundred in some basic acoustic treatment um, should be done before investing several hundred pounds in new monitors. So, But some of that acoustic treatment you can buy off eBay and stuff is no better than your mum's fur coat. Do you know what well, I mean? Yeah, well, that's that's the thing. I mean, the foam stuff is rubbish. It does nothing. So I, I think, what, like you said before, all the articles that have been on the internet and blogs and whatnot, um, that's... Except ours, of course, shall we say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, of course, yes. <laughs> there's bastions, a lot of, bastions of truth. Yes, yeah. Well, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And um, if you just do a little bit of research and go to some one or two uh, rep reputable companies, look on their websites at their advice, then you can you can pick up some acoustic treatment reasonably priced. You can make it yourself if you're that inclined, but, um, but I'm not. So I just... Bought some ba some bass traps in the corners and treated my first reflection points, and I've got a, a little ceiling cloud, and that's it. And I can tell a difference. And I um, I use the Sonarworks uh, room correction software as well, and I saw a marked improvement after installing acoustic treatment on that as well. So I don't really know where to start, just because. Um, yeah, my opinions kind of pull in both directions. I mean, the, the first thing I'd say is, if I went to uh, if I went to a studio and um, I saw a very very sorted uh, acoustic environment, um, unless it's done brilliantly, and it can be done really really well, but usually that's at the expense of something else, and it usually means that there's going to be no daylight. There's going to be an awful lot of uh, um, uh, there's going to be no everything's going to be uh, prioritizing um, prioritizing the sound at the expense of the other things that happen in the room, including the fact that people have to exist in there. And to me, that might be something of a red flag. I mean, I've seen a couple of uh, a couple of examples of some really good portable um, portable solutions and reading the physics about how they work, fantastic. But I just think I wouldn't spend my day surrounded by those things because it, just psychologically it would do my head in. There's the um, attack wall, isn't there, that you can get from the RSP do, which is like all those big tubes that you sit behind your desk. It's a good, good example of something that works. That, that I, I, and that I get really how works. It works. I get yeah. how it works completely, and, and it's clever, and it's not, just a, it's not just a stack of foam. But I'm still not sure I'd want to be surrounded by something like that all the time. So 
there's there's more to there's more to life than than just the acoustics. The the other thing, I mean, if we want to go the other way, is the thing that always comes up with stuff like this is you're wasting your time doing this stuff. It's just not worth it. Work on headphones. To which I just go, no. Well, no, I wouldn't just say absolutely that. Absolutely not. Well, yeah. I've heard this a lot from people saying, bypass the, you know, it's the, it's the best acoustic treatment you can possibly get and it's the cheapest. Just get some headphones and mix on headphones and going, never, never, ever, ever. No. So, you know, <laughs> um, the thing about it is, in my experience, is just that uh, in a typical domestic size room, which is where most people who aren't working in dedicated spaces yeah. end up working, um, the problem isn't isn't to do with the easy stuff, to do with a bit of absorption at first reflection points and stuff like that. It's bass trapping, and, and not many people do that. Or it could be. If you're sat in a bedroom, you're sat on a floor that's basically a, basically a floor sitting that's connected to the rest of the building. Uh, and so let me just clear two things up, and I think this is where, where a, a rookie mistake is made. There's soundproofing and there's acoustic treatment, and they're nothing to do with each other. In, in they're completely different things and so perhaps when sarah says i'm lucky i'm in a building that's separate from my house it has a solid concrete floor it has solid walls uh and you can go two meters outside my building with 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 volume at extreme in here like ear bleeding volume and can't hear it outside so that's soundproofing because there's there's no way for the sound to get out there's there's there's, there's not many transmission points as we call them uh it's like floor joists or walls and stuff like that so i'm not connected so that's good but then inside the building as i say when i did my studio uh i hired a guy and we had all the offset wall lark going on and then somebody henrik um who was at soft tube and then was at social tech and stuff said to me rusty said i've done it millions of times just just do an oblong building and get on with it uh and so i did and i've got Broadband behind my speakers. I've got my speakers sitting on Aurelex pads. Don't even know if they're helping. I've got two broadbands behind me, and I've got a bass cloud on the ceiling. I'm so, I'm, I'm, I've got walls that are completely parallel with each other. I'm firing sideways, uh, and it sounds great. Uh, and also, I went to Kipper's place. Kipper did Mary J. Blige and Sting. He's, he's in this old converted barn, absolutely just a table in the middle of the room, nothing else. And he's mixing great records. Uh Jeff Lynn, if you've ever seen the, the documentaries about Jeff Lynn, he records in his own house. He records his vocals in his office, books on the wall, all sorts of stuff. And so I suppose my question is, and I have this question when I'm ever on talking to people about projects, are what are you trying to achieve? Because if you're trying to achieve making great records, that's not the same thing. You don't make a great record by having great acoustic treatment. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And actually, who are you doing it for? Because most people, when you give them a, a mix, do you think the average punter in the street knows that the bass is a bit weird at the bottom end or that your top end's slightly light? They just love a great song. And they listen to it half the time through shitty speakers. So I'm kind of like, I kind of feel like it's the tail wagging the dog sometimes. That There's a kind of correlation that goes on in these debates that if you have a great sounding acoustic room, you'll produce great music. It's bullshit. That's a mm. bullshit. It's not the same because I've seen great music produced in shit rooms. I, I get the sense of what you're saying, and I don't disagree with the sense. In the specifics, I mean, the kind of the thing about the. Um, but why are you building a people... studio? Is my question. If you're you're building a studio to make great music, yeah, absolutely, and um, and there is always a reason to rec to record stuff um, as well as you can. I mean, a really good example of this was uh, listening to a load of stuff just in the kitchen yesterday, and. Um, and some and some Jimi Hendrix came on, 
and I, I love Jimi Hendrix and nothing, yeah. But something I always think when I hear it, and I've I've had this conversation with people saying, "Oh, I just I just love the quality of these records. They're so raw. They're so this." And I'm just thinking, no, I really wish Hendrix had been around. Just that little way to know. I wished um, the development of tape machines and recording technology had been just five years ahead of where it was, so that we'd had that stuff as it would have been recorded in you know the the early to mid seventies rather than right at the end of the 60s, just because I always just think, I just wish these records sounded a bit better. I really do. Just because, great record, but at the time, if someone was listening to it on a, on a damn set, fair enough, it probably sounded okay, but those records have lived a lot longer than that and they're now being listened to people, sort of listened to by people who are listening to stuff that's capable of much better reproduction and actually... It's a case where I kind of wish it was better. That's not specifically an acoustic thing, although I've always thought the drum sounds on Hendrix records absolutely stink. So you know, mm-hmm. um, something something I wanted to say though was um, uh, with speaker correction stuff, and you know your Sonar Works or your Trinovs or your or whatever it might be you're using. Um, something I'm so aware of uh, d- just talking to people is ha- th- there's a real divide between people who get the difference between time and frequency domain and people who've never thought about it. And everybody gets it once, once that it's pointed out to them. But so many people think that as long as your speakers have a flat frequency response, then they are sorted. And it's, it's just not like that. And it's exactly the same with rooms because you can't draw a distinction between the speaker and the room that the speaker's in. And you may well be getting an even response across the bottom end. But if, if notes are hanging around longer than they should be, uh, at some areas compared to others, then that's changing the, the energy balance through your mix. And if you're trying to, if you're trying to balance up, say, a, a kick drum against a bass guitar, and at a particular frequency, you've got stuff hanging around, and it's causing you to maybe kind of like not have the kick quite as loud as it needs to be. And then it played back in a different room with a slightly different time response. That that's going to get changed, and it's it's actually affecting your mix decisions. It's a real basic thing, but it needs to be needs to be understood clearly by people because this is a what what an awful lot of this translation stuff is about between spaces, and that's never going to be fixed if you just fix things in the frequency domain. It's it's something else is happening. So yeah, that's something that's uh, that does occur to me on this business. I mean, coming back to the bass trapping, this is what it's about. It's about bass trapping, and it's about the dimensions of people and wavelengths and the spaces that people live in. And I mean, every, not every, actually, that that's, can't possibly be true, but it's so common, I mean, to the point of like, yeah, of course there is. When I'm looking at the response of, of kind of, you know, small rooms that people are working in, to go, oh, got a massive null at 80 hertz? Yeah, bet you have. Because almost every small studio I've been in has a massive null at 80 hertz, you know. And there's no surprises about that. It's about the dimensions of, how how big people are and how big the spaces they tend to occupy are. And, you know, th- this is where that stuff comes from. And it's quite difficult to do anything about. And, for example, if you're in a space, the whole thing about firing lengthways down the room, for example, that's, that's a great idea just to get you away from In a typical, typical spare bedroom type setup, you're probably going to end up when you've got your gear, you've got a typical kind of like work surface, table, desk, whatever it is you happen to be working in front of, suitable gap behind for the gear, you're probably halfway down the room. And it's not going to be a good thing in a typical... You know, these, these things are consistent from space to space and they're very, very difficult to sort out um, because people generally aren't prepared to 
to do what's necessary to fix it because the results are necessarily going to compromise the space and they're going to be relatively expensive and uh, probably take up a fair chunk of an already not not oversized room. It's it's just kind of like, yeah, what are you prepared to put up with? Can I make a can I make a suggestion? Well, two things. I was going to say, Julian, you think I'm cheating anyway because I use the keys. So <laughs> you, you're you're making you're you're helping because you're 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 yeah, one I of have the various speakers that, are, that, that, mm. that have very little dependency on the space they sit in. Here's a compromise you can make straight away, which is to turn your volume down and to mix at low. I don't really mix at loud volumes, and I don't listen at loud volumes, and that's partly because I'm an old fart. But secondly, I just don't. <laughs> I think the more you're filling your room with sound, the harder it is to control it. You're exciting the space more, yeah. You're exciting absolutely. the space more. You, the, the, the space is going to, you know, you know, when your wardrobe doors start shaking and all that kind of thing, yeah, we'll just turn it down. Uh, but There's, again, there... I'm, I'm, I'm probably cheating because keys sound the same whether they're at 10 dB or 80 dB. They, they've got a completely flat. Uh, they they don't suffer so much from the what's that what's that response where you turn volume up and you and your mid start going Fletcher Munson Fletcher Munson Fletcher Munson yeah it doesn't they don't really suffer from that so you can turn them really quiet and you can still hear everything you could hear when they were loud so which is lovely but and I kind of when Sarah was talking about several hundred pounds on the speakers well these are fifteen grand a pair yeah so <laughs> so perhaps it's it's easy for me to say don't worry about acoustics when I've spent that much money on a pair of speakers. <laughs> but some, talking about speakers, actually, the thing that's, that makes the single biggest difference, in my experience, is what your speakers are on. And I'm not talking about Aurelex pads or whatever it might be, but just a decent, solid set of uh, set of speaker stands. I, I, I bought a new set of speaker stands earlier this year, and th- I was astonished at how much how much difference it made because I already had a, you know a proper set of stands if you like they weren't they weren't anything expensive or fancy but you know Atacama stands that were you know the right height and all the rest of it but just swapping to something else and if you've got a good uh, if if you if you've got what your speakers are on sorted in the first place you're at least in with a fighting chance just because something that I've definitely definitely um, I just can't do is have uh, have my have monitors or even little desktop monitors or anything actually on the desk, actually on the table. Mm. It's just a no no. I just won't do it. I don't care what they're on. They're just not going on the table. And uh, yeah, stands actually I think are a far better um, use of use of cash than you know questionable acoustic treatment. It might make it look studio-y, but certainly I'm I'm, I'm not going I'm going to worry about that first. Um, that's my experience of that stuff, but this is probably because you need to you need to know where to put those things. Which for something like first reflections isn't difficult. I mean, if people don't know about the mirror trick, that's that's the way to do mm. it. And sit at your yeah. mixed position, have someone else move a mirror around, and when you can see the speaker, that's where your um, that's where your absorption needs to go. But it needs to be the right kind of absorption, and just anything made of grey foam with little pyramids sticking out. Don't bother. <laughs> just don't bother. There was that great yeah. thing that we had on the site a while ago of somebody making stuff using old towels. I haven't made yeah. any, but that would work in a way mm. that a piece of foam just isn't going to do anything. Yeah, you see those base traps on eBay made out of a big wedge of foam, and it's just, no, that's not going to work. Something that I'd... I, you might as well put a wheelie bin in the corner either, haven't you? <laughs> the, it's going to have the same effect, if not a better effect. I mean, considering the amount of... because I mean, this is something else that it's so site-specific, if you see what I mean. So many people can't 
do those physical alterations. I mean, there's a ton of people who are renting the spaces they're in. They can't do that mm. stuff. Something that I'm, I'm going to name check. I mean, it's not it's not cheap, but doing acoustics properly isn't cheap anyway. Um, so you know, uh, but it's something that's completely non-site specific. Is have you seen the uh, the PSI um, active bass traps? No. no. You ever seen those? Brilliant little things. They look like a little monitor wedge. PSI Swiss company makes some nice monitors. Mm. And uh, all analogue. Uh, and it's just, uh, it's like one of those little foam uh, um, corner bass traps. But it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a microphone and a, and a subwoofer, effectively. And oh. it just bangs out antiphase. And it's oh. like loads, loads, loads more efficient than passive bass trapping. But the point is you can put it anywhere. You know, you could take it to yes. your next space, plonk it in the corner, no setup, it just listens to what arrives and it just puts the opposite out. And, uh, yeah, not a cheap solution, I'll have to say. But... I was going to say in terms of hacks, you know the idea of putting broadband behind you. If you can't put them on the wall, could you put them on uh, those hangers you can get from Argus? You know, if you, if you stay in a bed set and you can't, you can't afford a wardrobe and you can get this build-your-own hangers on wheels. I wonder if you could use one of those and just hang a broadband noise absorber off the back of, off the off the hanger part of one of those. Whether that would work, then you wouldn't have to worry about putting it on the wall. You'd have more of an air gap as well. You'd have more of an air gap, which would be better. Mm. Yeah, as I, I say, perhaps I'm spoiled. Perhaps I got <laughs> lucky. I don't know, but I think <laughs> that there's. I think people get themselves tie themselves in knots when they when it comes to acoustics in their studio. When there are a zillion other things that are going to affect whether they make a great track or not. Uh, it's, tr- it's true. I, I mean, it's, I would... and I think it's a bit of kind of a what's the word? Uh, it's it's the placebo effect. People think if you've got all this stuff around the room, you've got you've then got a real studio. You feel like you've arrived, and actually, cosmetic bass tre- treatment is. I mean, acoustic treatment is a thing. Absolutely, yeah, that's I, what I, I mean. <laughs> it's like people come in my studio who don't know any, don't know what I do. They go, "Wow, what do you do in here?" Because it suddenly looks really kind of like techy, and uh, it's got these like beautifully made. Uh, broadband panels on the wall and stuff like that and it's and so so it does have that kind of that kind of uh, effect that you've walked into a space that's really there for making records so I suppose it's probably some of that's probably in playing out as well isn't it I'm guessing I don't know Mm. Sarah you you obviously think it's a really good idea to have this kind of stuff I I just think that it's you don't have to spend a lot of money on it. And I think that the basics of, as we've said, base trapping and doing the first reflection points um, does make a difference. And by not doing that, then you're running, you're running the, the risk of, you know, adding or taking away frequencies in your mix because your room is... Uh, wrongly telling your ears you need to do that so i think that by uh keeping an eye on ebay and i mean i picked my stuff up from ebay from it's gik acoustic stuff so it's good good that's the stuff, stuff i use i think yeah yeah but i they have kind of like um a bee stock i suppose you'd call it uh, and they every so often they they'd have a clear out of uh, of items that they may have made bespoke for somebody and then they've cancelled the order and so they put that stuff up on ebay and and i was able to pick up bass traps relatively cheaply as i say just for a few a few hundred pounds really um and i i feel as though it's uh, it's made a world of difference for me um but then again 
you know, like you say, you your your studio is Russ. What sort of size would you say it is? Is it sort of larger it's, than it's uh, a double bedroom? Kind it's of three thing? meters wide and six meters long. Yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a it's the size of a big garage. So it is a big garage. Yeah. Yeah, and then we and and so I and I say I fire sideways, so I'm two meters from the wall now, sat, and I have six. Yeah. I have eight broadband panels behind me, behind the desk, and then behind me, I have two GIK acoustics hanging on the wall. Yeah, and I have one of their clouds above me. That's it. Well, I mean, you know, a lot of people are mixing in bedrooms and in spare bedrooms, and they can't get the the monitors two meters away from the root from the wall and, and things like that. So I think where they're able to um, try and compensate for that by using acoustic treatment or doing the best they can in the room they've got. And, well, wouldn't Sonoworks be better though, Sarah? Not, not to do the job in, in, in entirety. I think what you need to do with Sonarworks, you've got to go so far with acoustic treatment and then Sonarworks does the rest. They, I think with Sonarworks, they they recommend that the when you do your frequency sweep of your room if the correction software is trying to do anything more than plus or minus 6 dbs of correction in any frequency then Get you're the pushing room. it you're pushing it really <laughs> yeah you need to do something else to try and bring that difference down so um sonar works is just like the sweetening really just the little tweaks it's like the gulfos <laughs> of um uh of your mixing environment really i it's think i'd agree bit- with that because it, it it only works in in some cases I, I i use it i use it in in my current room in my previous room i didn't bother just because well you know i just i just wasn't hearing it and in the same way with Golfos, on some stuff it works magic and on other stuff mm. it's kind of like eh, you know and that's yeah. kind of part of it that's, that's an interesting one because, um, I mean, what you're saying, the thing that I notice about both of you is that I'm very pleased to hear that you've you've both got uh, ceiling clouds because that seems to be the, the – I've, I've been in an awful lot of spaces that should have had them that haven't, I think because they're a bit more difficult to hang. Mm. But, you know, it's a first reflection point and it's a really important first reflection point. And depending on the height of your ceiling, I mean, something I like about my current space is I'm in a bigger, I'm in a bigger place with higher ceilings. And in a typical modern build, um, it's, you, you end up halfway, the or listening axis ends up halfway up the room. And mm. you don't want to be halfway along any axial mode. And yeah, that can be that can be a, a, a bit of an issue in my experience. But you know, in a, in a, in a taller space um, where you, you're comfortably away from that, but to some degree, and with a with a, a ceiling. Well, also, I mean, the other thing, of course, is that I mean, Russ, you've got a hard floor. So yeah, have you got a hard floor? It's rock solid. Yeah. No, I'm I'm in a, a like an upstairs bedroom. So, so you so you're carpeted. I'm, I'm on carpet. Yeah. Yeah. Which this is something that that always concerns me. Is that I totally get why people want to have uh, want to have like a you know a, a hard a hard floor. But I'm not talking about what's under the floor, Russ. I'm just talking about whether or not you've got carpet or not. I get that. Well, I've got but a hard if you're floor, doing but that, it's sitting but it's sitting on a slab as well. And this is the point I'm this is the point I'm making. The no amount of acoustic treatment can fix some of those problems. If you're sitting in a if you're sitting in a room that is if, mm. if you're sitting in a room which is effectively a big speaker, yes, that's a problem, and no amount of acoustic treatment can fix half of that. 
Because well, I mean, the, the speaker and the room are can't really meaningfully be <laughs> separated from each decoupled. other because yeah. because they're they're part of the same thing. They're both involved in what reaches your ears. And in most of the houses that you're going to put a studio in, as Sarah said, she's sitting in a bedroom there, so the, the, she's the the floors will move mm. because they're sitting on they're sitting on joists, uh, and they're connected to the walls, which mm-hmm. are connected to other and the ceiling too. So you're basically got you're basically sitting in a big speaker, uh, yeah. and some of that is some of that is the easiest fix for that is to turn the volume down, yeah, and don't mix at loud volumes because yeah. and and it should, it's the old trick, isn't it? About if you want to hear what your bass is like, is go and walk down the go and walk out the room and listen outside, yeah. Uh, which which I thought was a stupid idea, but it does actually work if you can't re- if you can't afford acoustic treatment. What I'm really trying to say here is, of course, acoustic treatment can work. I, I'm big buddies with Andy Munro. He's done great jobs of building studios over the years, some of the biggest studios in the world. But what I'm saying is, I think people get overhung up about it when there's mm. there's better ways that there's other ways to spend your money which could improve your recordings. And actually, again, the other thing is, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent proponent of using mastering engineers. And the reason I use mastering engineers is they catch all those mistakes. They catch all mm. the acoustic issues. And one of the problems with home mastering, it's a bit like cutting your own hair. It's possible, but not advisable, <laughs> yeah. as we're all about to find out in the next few months. Yes. Uh, do you know what I mean? That's why I think mastering engineers are still a vital part of the chain. Uh or a mix engineer is the same thing. Is when you mix tracks, Sarah, you're catching things that the person is too close. It's like why, you know what, if, if the guitarist in the band mixes the tracks, you know how it's going to end up. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Isn't it? Every time. Or if the vocalist does, you hear the same thing again. And this is so, I, I, I think it's, I think the ongoing debates about acoustic treatment, quote unquote, is, 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 is partly because we are... N- missing some of the obvious things Mm. i think if you build into your system or your setup ways to check your your mix or the final product before you upload it or uh you know print a cd even is just to check what it sounds like on other systems in other rooms on different speakers um and by using uh, a mastering engineer that's that's going to be done for you but well, as you're mixing, you know, have references to listen to so that you can uh, just particularly as well, if you can cross reference across frequency bands as well, rather as well as the whole mix, of course. But if you can isolate just the low frequencies and then reference those to your reference track and then isolate the mids and reference those to the mids of your reference track, then you know, you've done as much as you can do, really. Uh, and at the end of the day, if it sounds good, it is good. So I'm sure you'll let us know what you think of our opinions, whether I'm an idiot or, or what. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Which I, one I of us is an idiot? Take our yeah, poll. Yeah, yeah, take our poll. <laughs> now, but the other, thing, the other thing is that some of the best records ever made in the last 20, 30 years were mixed on a pair of NS10s. So let's yeah. not talk about critical listening, because NS10s are the Biggest bag of shit out there, but they they've just, got a fantastic time response. Yes, they have. And the other thing Ooh. was because they sat on top of SSL desks, the scoop on the desk <laughs> was was helping with the sound of them. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, so so let us know. Mm. In a similar vein, we had a great article over the weekend from a new contributor, Steve Demott, about tape, asking why is it that uh, 
a lot of the people who uh, sing the praises of tape actually never used it first time around. Uh, I think that between us, we've we've all uh, been on the kind of like dusty end of a, a tape machine before. Uh, Russ, I know you have. Sarah, have you used much tape? Um, I haven't used it much. I when I came into the business, I was very much on the back end of tape. It was it had sort of had its heyday. Um, when I came into uh, into working with tape, it was with digital tape. Actually, it was with the Sony Dash oh dear. Um, format. DMA. So, yeah, those are the days. Uh, so that's my extent. I never had the luxury, or well, I don't know. I shouldn't say luxury, but I never had the um, experience of having to cut and splice two inch tape. Uh, but I did an awful lot of quarter inch tape editing at the BBC, um, which was being used right up until. Uh, Gosh, the the mid, yeah, sort of 2010 or something like that, I think. They were still using tape heavily, but that was for broadcasts. So that was, uh, you know, they that was, I don't know why, just they, they had so many tape machines, they just continued to use it. I don't think it's like that now, but um, I did an awful lot of quarter-inch tape editing. Um, but um, in terms of music recording, it was all, it was dash uh, not not analog. The machines were there in the studio, gathering dust, and they'd get wheeled out every now and again if if need be. But um, yeah, I don't have an awful lot of experience with it. But I have used a lot of the the various different plugins, the tape emulation plugins, and I enjoy using those. But I can totally get the um, that viewpoint where. You know, the nostalgia, if you actually did use tape, you wouldn't love it so much. Something um, that stuck out with me on on that was um, uh, was the talk about tape speeds and uh, and head bumps and uh, all of that stuff. Um, and this, in terms of, I mean, if you were using dash machines at the B, presumably you were kind of white loving it to some extent. You weren't having to maintain those machines because... You have a technical no. crew there, so yes, did did yeah. you have to clean the machines, or would that be done for we you? We did, yeah, we would before every session. We would uh, just clean the the heads, and um, I'd imagine that's a very similar process to on an on an analog machine. It's the same medium. It might be doing something else, but they, yeah, they weren't yeah. dash machines. Didn't have rotating heads, did they? I mean, I've never I've never used one. Um, no, I don't think I it's don't fixed think fixed head and a high tape speed, isn't it? Yes, yeah, but yeah. we still we still would um, we would still get the old Q tips out and mm, mm, and I've give seen. them a bit of a wipe. <laughs> uh, so because I mean, certainly when I first started, I was at the kind of uh, no money end of recording in the kind of I don't know what would have been sort of like the early to mid nineties. And um, yeah, I mean, we aspired to own one of these newfangled ADAP machines. Um, uh, something I was spared, thankfully. But um, mm. but yeah, and we were using we were using half inch eight track in the studio I was working in, and I very much I had a, a, a great um, kind of uh, older guy there who sort of knew his way, was properly trained, and took me through how to clean. He used to line the machine up. I certainly uh, I certainly um, didn't used to do that stuff because he did it instead because he was mm. clever like that. But, you know, I was aware of calibration tapes and, and you know, tones and all of that stuff. But certainly before I used the machine, I'd, I'd clean the machine and, and, and degauss it as well, which I think we used to do more than was necessary, frankly, talking to other people because we used to do that a lot. But, <laughs> but yeah, setting up, setting up and cleaning a machine is something that I'm extremely used to. And uh, it's, it's very peculiar uh, to talk about this stuff from this point of view just because I, 
I use tape. I stopped using tape. Uh, hard disk, first off, first off, like hardware, standalone hard hard disk recording, came into my life, and the tape machine got pensioned off because it was on its last legs, frankly. And uh, and it was the, at, at that end of things, it was the media costs that mm. that really because I mean you know we we didn't used to splice tape because we it, you know we were using it more than once. I mean, we really were because you know our client base is okay. You're going to have to pay you know a ton of money for a. They weren't going to do that. Um, but this is what it was like at the kind of you know uh, scrappier end of, uh, of of the industry in the in the in the early to mid nineties. But yeah, definitely, I I used tape and then I didn't use tape anymore and I never went back and I haven't recorded to tape since, which is makes it very difficult for me to really be objective about this stuff. Just because I own I, I now own a quarter inch machine again because I was given one and I went well I'll have that but frankly it's an ornament. I mean it's got a reel of tape on it, mm. but. Yeah, that doesn't see any use. Um, and I, as for uh, plugins, yeah. I think they're massively unrealistic. For example, t- modern day tape stuff is unrealistic because, for example, I remember a guy, <laughs> two machines tied together with Simpty, did a drop in on a vocal, but forgot that he got the 24th track in and record engaged as well and wiped Simpty for two minutes. <laughs> Uh, so you can't do that on modern tape plugins, which would be nice, wouldn't it? You could actually screw up your session if you didn't know what you were doing. And also drop-ins anyway. Do you remember drop-ins on tape? Yeah. They were just They like, were a bit, clen- a bit clenches sometimes. Yes. They were every time. You were got, you either came too early or too late. You hardly ever got it on time. There was so, in fact, in in the day, you were you were a top engineer if, if, because you were known for your drop-ins, weren't you? There was lots yeah. of things you were known, but drop-ins especially. But also just the fact that stuff like that just got let go. Yeah, it's like oh that happened, and everyone's kind of over it because there isn't really anything you can yeah, do. Well, yeah, it's done. Yeah, it's done, and yeah. things like that. Uh, that's the kind of thing I mean. Is that 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 uh, I I don't I don't miss the tape lineup or a card had come adrift and something was going wrong and it was noisy or the biasing issue, mm. uh, all those kind of things. Uh, it it. Uh, yeah, I, I don't miss any of that. I, I thought this piece, uh, Steve's piece, was great because rather than um, getting subjective and possibly a little romantic about about sound and vibe and, I mean, there's all those conversations and, and talk about, like, commitment and stuff. He just took it a, a purely practical, you know, economic view of it. And I thought that was quite refreshing just to say, hey, look, yeah, here we go. There's 10 minutes gone already. And that's assuming everything's fine. And then media costs and costs per minute and all of this stuff. Absolutely, you know. I mean, what I was going to return to in the first bit was kind of like, he's saying, oh, nobody's used nobody's used 15 ips for, you know, I was thinking, I, I never recorded anything higher than because that's, that's all our machine could do. <laughs> I certainly never did. Um, uh, and anyway, we wouldn't have done that because the tape would have lasted half as long. And why on earth would you do that? So. In fact, I did a straw poll on a load of engineer friends I knew that all worked with tape in the day. And I said to them, what did you love about tape? And most of them said, I loved the time it took to rewind so I could think about the vocal take. And, mm-hmm. and they loved the space that tape put into things. Uh, it yeah. was thinking time. The Pro Tools Expert Podcast is created using Source Connect Now from Source Elements. Register now for your free account at now.source-elements.com. 
If you've ever tried to do interviews over the internet with apps like Skype, you'll know how hit and miss the audio quality and connection can be. And even on a good day, it isn't really good enough for a long-form interview. We now use Source Connect Now, which offers ISDN-equivalent quality audio using a Chrome browser. No software to install. To get your free account, follow the link in the podcast notes. Let's move on to Find of the Week. These are sponsored by our friends at RSPE Audio Solutions. RSPE Audio is up and running remotely. The team is set up and working from the safety of their homes and their sales staff are available by phone, live chat or email to receive and process orders. They have everything you need to build or upgrade your home studio and ensure you can continue to work from home. If there's anything they can do for you, please don't hesitate to reach out or shop online at rspeaudio.com. Right, Jules, what's your your find of the week? Uh, my find of the week is uh, is a thing that's uh, unfortunately starting today on the day that we're recording, but by the time this goes out, we'll have missed the first two. But Pure Mix are doing some free live webinars uh, every day this week at 6.30 GMT. Um, I won't talk about the first two because they've already happened, but, well, they were Andrew Sheps and Vance Powell and Nefried Shippen. But anyway, never mind. Um, but uh, 6.30 tonight, Eduardo Cabra, uh, Martin Pilchner, is talking about home studio acoustics on Thursday. And then Fab Dupont is doing a Friday mix day using Luna, which um, uh, which sounds interesting because that's going to be a bit of a bit of a preview going on there. But anyway, they're free. Uh, we've got a piece up on the site. Follow the link uh, and uh, check out what's going on with those 6.30 GMT every day this week. And Sarah, what's your find of the week? Yeah, it's just a, it's a little handy plug-in by Melda Production called M Notepad that I just find really useful. Um, it just sits, where you can put it on any channel on your uh, in your session um, and you just click it, it opens up and it's a text editor basically. So you can input whatever you want in there and I find it really useful to make a, a note of when I've had to uh, change anything in particular in a session for uh, say phase reasons or if... Um, Sometimes if I am doing revisions, I'll put revision notes in there and uh, what I've done to address the particular problems that uh, that the artist might have had at that point. And uh, I just find it really useful. It's handy. It's there. Instantly, I can click it and quickly type in something to jog my memories should I open up that session again and wonder what the hell was I thinking. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, Melda Production M Notepad. It's free. Um, it comes with uh, their, I think they, it comes as part of a free bundle that they do. Um, but I don't use any of the other stuff. I just use this notepad. What about you, Russ? Actually, I've got, I've got two, actually. Is that allowed? Possibly three. I'll go for two. So the <laughs> first one is, Julian was going to mention this anyway, but, but I mentioned at the top of the show, SoundSource by Rogue Amoeba. But it's a per-application audio router for if you've got different things like monitor speakers and all sorts of things. It's well worth checking out. And uh, yeah, it's great. Uh, and, and the second thing, actually, in, in, in this, uh, not mention the C word, Disney Plus at the moment is 50 quid for the year. Buy it. It's just, it's rent it for a year because it's got fantastic. It's got all the, everything from Pixar, Disney, Marvel, uh, Star Wars, and National Geo. Loads of National Geo documentaries on there. Absolutely brilliant. And it's, it's, it's money well spent. Uh, what is it, like 50 quid a year? It's about four quid a month. Uh, to watch all that great content uh, instead of going insane. Uh, so uh, those are my two picks of the week. And uh, and also VPN Express, because it means that I can then watch stuff that I can't get in the UK, in America, stuff like that. <laughs> Very useful, VPN Express. And if you're living in America, of course, then you can watch the BBC from America. 
So happy days. So uh, on that uh, news, it's good night from me. It's good night from me. Oh, it's good night from me. Good night. <laughs>